Welcome. My name is Latoya with the Prayer is Breathing podcast. I'm so excited that you are watching this episode. I have my really good friend, sister in Christ, Ruby Rapp, who is going to share her testimony with us. It is so powerful. She's a powerful, anointed woman of God. She has such a powerful testimony, and the Lord has done some amazing things in her life. So I want to welcome you, ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself today. Hi, I'm Ruby, and I'm very grateful to be here today. I'm very grateful to share uh, my life with you and um, the love of the Lord with you and what he has done for me. I'm originally from Virginia. I was born in Portsmouth, Virginia. I was raised in Norfolk, Virginia. And I grew up in a family that looked very normal on the outside, but not so much on the inside. Um, I grew up Catholic, and my mother was full-blooded Italian. My dad is, is military, and so I grew up in a very strict family. I grew up knowing of a God, but I didn't know him personally. Um, in a family that um, my dad, my mom was very strict and she always thought I was too fat and she would tell everybody I was too fat. And my dad would just kind of go along with her not realizing what he was doing. He would sing this song to me, I don't want her, you can have her, she's too fat for me. So I grew up with a lot of distorted body images. So when I got to high school, I, I rebelled. I just wanted to fit in, I wanted to look good. Um, I got to school and I put on makeup. I'd take it off before I got home so my parents couldn't see that. And I started to party. I remember the first time that I got drunk, I was with a girlfriend, I was in high school, 12, my senior year in high school. And we went up into her bedroom. We had a six pack of beer. Didn't like the taste of beer, didn't like the way I felt the next morning but I liked the way it made me feel that night. And I knew instantly that I wanted more of that. Wow. And did you, so you got drunk that first night? Yes, I did. And when I got home, my mother knew it and she could smell it on me and I got in trouble, but it didn't stop me. Drinking, you know, in high school, we would go to the parties, you know, we'd go to parties, we'd go to the football game, we'd walk around the football game with, you know, with our little Coca-Cola cups. And, and alcohol in it. By the time I was 17 years old, I had a fake ID. We were getting into bars. We just wanted to dance. We, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. We just wanted to dance and have a good time. And that I did. Um, from there, after high school, I kind of laid off the alcohol part of it, but the, the body image came in and I ended up with an eating disorder down to 92 pounds at my lowest weight. I was in um, the mental hospital at, I, in 1982, I was admitted into a mental hospital and um, they had to teach me how to eat all over again. And I didn't like it. Um, I left there, I, I went in at 92 pounds, came out at 115 pounds. But addiction is addiction is addiction is addiction. So I went from an eating disorder to to fill in that void in, in my life with a man. And that's when I met my first husband. Let's talk about the eating disorder because I think so many people can most likely relate to this. So do you remember what led to like the first time where you bringing up food? Do you remember what led to the first moment where that started? I remember um, 
I was at work. I worked for a drugstore in, in high school. It was shortly after high school, though, this lady walked up to me and asked me if I was pregnant. And that triggered something in me. And I started starving myself. And I did a lot of ungodly things to my body to make myself throw up, to just rid any kind of food that was in my body. If I ate one bite, I thought I was fat. And uh, it, it was hor- it's a horrible disease. So now how did you get to the mental facility? Did you take yourself there? Did somebody else make you go? My mom and dad put me in therapy at the time. And when I got down to that weight of 92 pounds, yes, I was, uh, I was actually the first time I went on my own. And then I signed myself out Amer- uh, AMA because I didn't think I needed to be there. And then they they turned around and admitted me because I'm five foot. I was five foot five at the time. Ninety two pounds. It, it, I was a size zero. You know, it was it was extremely unhealthy. Wow, wow, wow. So take us from that point now to you said that was one addiction, and then somewhere that shifted into alcohol. Well, it shifted into alcohol. It, it shifted, you know, I got married. I got married because I got pregnant, and I married my first husband. And we were doing um, not just alcohol, we were doing cocaine, we were doing pot, um, we were doing anything that we could get our hands on. Um, my biggest my biggest addiction at the time still was my eating disorder. I got pregnant. Um, I weighed uh, less than 100 pounds when I got pregnant. I went up to 180 before I had him, and within three months was back down to that weight. So you went up from about 92 to 180 pounds? 180 pounds. Okay. And then you lost all of that within three months? Within three months. So then how long from there did the addiction continue? Well, I, um, I, you know, I had my second child and, and some things happened in our marriage and we both had some issues and we, we separated, we went our own ways. And what happened from there is I met husband number two because addiction is addiction is addiction is addiction. So I was substituting whatever I could to fill this void inside of me. So I married, uh, I met husband number two. He was a police officer, very good looking, um, very charming. And I thought he would, you know, I thought he would be the answer to my dreams. And um, so we got married and the first time he laid his hands on me, actually the first time he laid his hands on us, he grabbed my son out of the out of the bed and he started swinging and kicking and I took my whole body and I wrapped it around my son. Brandon was about four years old at the time and I took every kick and every punch for him. Wow. And he was four? He was four years old at the time. Wow. So how long did you stay in that? Did you call the police? Did you do anything in that moment? You know, no, I didn't. Um, we went and got some help, went to church. My family at the time, because my mother was so controlling and he was so controlling that if she couldn't have her way in my life, they disowned me. So I didn't know what to do. Um, the, the, the beatings continued. 
I did what I could. I stayed for five years, five years in that marriage because it sounds easy to leave, but leaving is not as easy as it sounds, especially when you don't know what to do or where to go or, or, or have anybody to help you. So everything was being done inside the house. Once again, the house looked very normal on the outside, but nobody knew what was going on in the inside. And, uh, I remember the uh, last time he laid his hands on me. My kids were just a little bit older at the time and his mom was living with us. And he came home, I, I spent the day with my kids, I took them to the movies and um, he, he was working 3-11 shift that day and I had dinner, everything waiting for him when he got home. And when I got home, he was angry because I wasn't there with his mother. So he took me and he grabbed me by the hair and he threw me on the ground and he took the plate of the, the plate of food and threw it on the ground with me. And then he told me to get up, clean it all up. And when I got up, I looked at him because he was going, getting ready to go back on his shift. I said, I hope you get killed tonight. All I remember is, um, I got in my car that night. My kids said that they were with me. I don't remember them being with me. I got in the car that night. I was driving and I was, I had just started a new job as being an optician apprentice. And this, the, the boss called me to remind me of a, a meeting that we were supposed to go to the next day. And I was crying. I was shaking so hard. And I, I told him what happened. And he said, Ruby, you've got to get out of there. He is going to kill you. And at that moment, I really began to see the monster that I was turning into because I, at that moment, I don't, I'm not sure if he was going to kill me or if I was going to kill him. And the very next day I went out and I signed a lease on an apartment and got me and my children out of there. Ooh, that's a lot. Okay. So you finally at that point had the courage. Now you had the income to get out and he's continuing as a police officer yes i decided at the time not to press charges first of all a lot of his cop friends knew what was happening in that house and chose to do nothing basically they looked out for him um at the time i felt it was best to let it go and it was easy for him you know it was easy back then for me to forgive somebody. I was not a believer. So it was just easy for me to forgive him. The thing is, is I did not get the the kind of help that I needed. I didn't get the psychological help or, or anything I needed at the time. So I began to spiral down. And that's when I really started drinking again. I was going through the apprenticeship. I was drinking again and I started mixing painkillers and with the with the alcohol I was going to um I, I used to get migraines really bad and I was playing two different doctors I was playing a neurologist who was giving me Vicodin and loads of it at a time and playing my PCP who was giving me codeine and neither one of them knew what I was doing and I was mixing um and it just spiraled down just spiraled down um then I met husband number three and your children are how old at this point with the Vicodin and the coding? They were in their teens. They were in their teens. And uh, Brandon, you know, my son at the time, he began to spiral down, he, you know, because 
what was happening on the inside was a reflection of what was going on on the outside with my children. And he would always get in so much trouble at school. He was getting suspended. He was doing this and doing that. And I, he lost control of himself as well. Okay, so uh, I know we're covering a lot. You have so much to your testimony. So um, let's get into husband number three. Husband number three. Well, once again, I thought, you know, I just kept bouncing from man to man thinking that they could fix me. And it's very codependent behavior. He had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing as far as the alcohol and the painkillers. So we just had a great time. You know, he liked to drink. You know, we liked to do our thing. We had a lot of fun together. We dated for five and a half years. He had, once again, he had no clue what I was doing. My son was going through all his stuff. Um, I remember the night he proposed to me I believe he really didn't want to marry me. It was me that wanted to get married. So we both got married for the wrong reasons. And um, it lasted about a year and a half before I hit a bottom. I ended up in a detox. I didn't know at the time that I was an addict or an alcoholic or anything like that. I... um, I just was blaming everybody. I was blaming my mom. I was blaming my son that very first time I was in there. And I was talking to this counselor and he was listening to me. He said, how conceited of you. And I just sat back at the moment thinking, well, he's not a mom. He doesn't get it. It took me a year and a half to figure out that he was telling me there was a power greater than myself and it wasn't me. And in that year and a half, I was in a, I can't tell you how many times I've been in and out of detox, suicide attempt after suicide attempt after suicide attempt after suicide attempt. And was he there the entire time, this guy? No, no. Um, when I hit my bottom, I got a, uh, I got a DUI, I got I, my bottom, my last relapse, I got a DUI. What happened, I, actually, I can't tell you what happened because I really don't remember the day. I do know that I took over 60 pills. I, they found 30 of them in my car and there were over 30 pills missing out of my house. I got in my car and um, I hit two other cars. And by the grace of God, there was not one scratch in all three cars. Nobody got hurt, but this time the police showed up and I was carried off to the middle. I would, this time I was admitted and, and, and they were Virginia Beach police officers. They, they, they knew me because they knew my husband and my ex-husband. And, um, I ended up back in there the last, well, no, it wasn't the last time, but it was my last relapse. And I was in there for about a month and I, I got a, um, my, my husband at the time called me and said, there's a letter here that says you need to turn yourself in to the police department. There's a DUI waiting here for you. And I, um, when my dad picked me up to leave, um, detox that time, 
I said, Dad, before we go home, let's go take care of this DUI. I thought I would just have to sign some papers and just go home. Well, that's not what happened. It was um, the end of January. It was cold and rainy outside. And when I got down there, uh, the hand camp cuffed me in front of my dad. And they dragged me through the detective's office. And all those detectives there knew me. And I just put my head down. And I was arrested. I was booked. I was arrested. I had to go before the magistrate. The magistrate was mean. I mean, she was mean. And um, I was in there for about four hours. My dad stood outside in the cold and rain for that four hours and waited for me. And when I got out, I said, Dad, there's enough time for me to go to this meeting. It's a recovery meeting. Um, so I got there and that same counselor who told me I was conceited, I said to him, I said, you know, they treated me like a common criminal. And he looked at me and said, Ruby, you are a common criminal. And that was a very sobering moment for me. He made a joke out of it. You know, he, he kind of walked down the hall going tweet, 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 tweet to lighten the mood. But yeah, it was a very sobering moment for me. So much in that. So now you're at the AA meetings. Okay. So, so when did you kind of have like a, what people say, come to Jesus meeting or when did you finally you know, get to a place where you realize, hey, I have to make a change. Well, this was in um, my my last relapse was in December of 2008. In February of 2009, I gave my life to the Lord. There was someone in the meeting that had what I wanted. I was listening to what he shared and, and I confessed Jesus as my savior. At the time though, I really wasn't doing the work and my lifestyle didn't change. Um, I had one foot in the church and one foot out of the out of the church. So basically I was sitting on the fence and Satan knows the fence. And I was um, out three or four years sober when I met this guy and he said he was a Christian and I fell from grace. But God, I mean, but God, he took me to this this church. We, we walked into Holy Ghost Prayer Night in Hampton, Virginia. And that was my first encounter with God. I, I, I remember going up for a prophecy. I remember the word that was spoken over me. I remember um, at the end of the night, I was sitting there talking to the pastor. And I knew for the first time in my life, I was standing on holy ground. And I heard the Lord say to me, my sheep, they know me. They listen, they know my voice and I shall never let them be snatched away. And I kept going back. I mean, I I just, it was like fresh manna coming straight out of heaven. And I kept going back for more just to, to hear what God had to say and to listen to the teachings. And it was awesome just to see other people get what they needed. But at the same time, at, shortly after that, I, I had to break it off with this guy. And I was hurt and I was crushed. And I, I don't, out of three marriages, this guy hurt me more. I mean, I was crushed. Probably because I, I I had given my life to Christ and I knew better. But um, I was crushed and I questioned God 
and I questioned my faith. And I found out that his shoulders were big enough because I started going to church there. And they met me with love and grace. And they allowed the word of God to chastise my heart. And it was probably about a year after that, um, I still had all those resentments and bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart. And I was taking a Bible study that's not a part of my church. I've taken it for 12 years called Bible Study Fellowship. And we were studying the book of John that year. And I said in the group, I said, you know, I don't want to punish him. I want God to punish him. And there was this Jamaican lady sitting next to me. She was older than me and she was more seasoned than I am. And she grabbed me by the hand and she said, now that you've admitted that, you've confessed that, you're going to be amazed what God's going to do in your life. And he did, you know, that forgiveness and me looking at my part in it and having to accept, you know, that acceptance that that I, I played a role in all that. And um, about a year later, I rededicated my life to Christ. I got water baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. So we are going to pause here and part two will be next week. And I want to thank you so much for listening. If you're struggling with anything, please reach out. Please get help. Know that you're not alone. Know that there is power in the name of Jesus. And no matter where you are, God is able to redeem you, restore you, deliver you, pick you up, put you back together. And so in Ruby's story, I just see the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. And so I want to just pray for you. God, I pray for every person listening to this podcast. I pray that your anointing would rest upon them, that God, you would reach into the lowest valleys. You would reach into the darkest areas, the darkest places and deliver their soul, God. And I just thank you for life in Jesus. There's no other name by which man can be saved. And so I thank you for the, for the name of Jesus. I thank you for the power of the cross, the finished work of the cross and the blood of Jesus. I pray that your spirit will prevail in the life of every person that listens to this podcast in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Ladies, every Monday night, I host a Bible study called the equipping women's Bible study at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can register on Eventbrite. And again, that's the Equipping Women's Bible Study. Also, if you need any Christian apparel, you can check out www.awakechristianclothing.com. Again, that's www.awakechristianclothing.com. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we go deeper into Sister Ruby's testimony and all that the Lord has done in her life. God bless you. Thank you for listening.